In this episode, I am joined by Gabi Kastenmüller of the Helmholtz Center in Munich, Germany. Her group develops bioinformatics tools and databases that supports the sustainable mining of metabolomic data. These tools help us make sense of large datasets and contribute to making our picture of biology a little bit sharper. The Metabolomist is the podcast where scientists connect to explore the unspoken issues in metabolomics research. I am your host, Alice Limonciel, and together we will examine how metabolomic data interpretation is done. I will discuss with other metabolomists how they do this work, how they plan, execute, but also communicate metabolomics. Today on the podcast, I'm joined by Gabi Kastenmüller. Hello, Gabi. Hi. Hi. Thank you for joining me. I think a lot of the people who listen to this podcast will be uh, familiar with your work. But for the people who don't know you, you studied computer science and chemistry and have a PhD in bioinformatics from the Technical University of Munich. And you are now for several years a uh, group leader in metabolomics at the Helmholtz Center in Munich. Would you like to add something? I mean, it's it's quite short, but you've been working for a while on metabolomics, so maybe yeah, uh, um, about explain. a decade, I, I would yeah. say, so uh, or maybe even a bit more than a decade. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm in metabolomics now, and. Mm -hmm. uh, which for me was a perfect uh, synthesis of the background in chemistry and computer science. I've got mm -hmm. a lot of data, but it also has to do with chemical molecules. Yeah, and it converges on metabolomics quite well. From what I understand, your research focuses a lot so on metabolomics, a bit on GWAS as well, and mostly creating tools then to better analyze and interpret this type of data. Is it mostly bioinformatics or do you do also different things? I think I, our general driver for our research is that we want to understand what influences a human metabolome. Coming from genetics as an inborn factor uh, of metabolism, but also influences by the microbiome, by nutrition, by yeah. exercise. Mm -hmm. We want to understand these influences on the human metabolome and the changes of the metabolomes over time by using metabolomics. And the metabolome is a, is a, a, spe a specifically interesting type of molecules to study in this context, isn't it? Too? Because a lot of people would study proteomics or maybe transcriptomics, but you, you made a choice at some point to focus on metabolomics. Is it because it's so sensitive to these different influences? Yeah, exactly. So it's it's really in, in the intersection of all these influences mm -hmm. and all these influences that we know are important for developing diseases and also for treating diseases. So it's a molecular layer very close to the phenotype, so to the symptoms, mm -hmm. very close to what you can do against it in an easy way, like uh, diet and uh, exercise, but also when... Um, Uh, you have drugs and medication, um, they often act on the layer of metabolism. So it's the molecular layer where it all comes together, the mm -hmm. yeah. imprint and what we do to our bodies uh, with our lifestyle. And so in part of your work, you develop bioinformatic tools and databases, some of which are available online. Could you tell a bit about this, this free access to data? Because people 
see sharing data, whether it's metabolomics or other type of omic data, as a kind of a chore sometimes. I have the feeling it's a different dynamic on your side. I have a feeling that sharing the data is, is part of the process and is an important part of the work. Yeah, so that's, we share this opinion that it's an important process of work. So as I said, a driver of our work is to understand the metabolome systemically. And you won't get to that understanding without collecting the results from very different uh, angles of research, Mm -hmm. very different projects where you look into diseases compared to where you look into nutrition and uh, exercise and so on. And what we try with our tools is bringing these results together. It's not Mm -hmm. only about sharing the actual data. It's, in our opinion, also important to share these wealth of results that you get from that data. And it's much easier to share results compared to uh, data because you don't have all these uh, restrictions coming from data protection. You have to make sure that you don't give out private sensitive data. Mm -hmm. This problem you don't have when you are sharing results, but the essence of of what you do still has to come together. So sharing results is as important as sharing the data. Yeah. And so in terms of results, do you mean, for example, the associations that you find when you combine metabolomics with GWAS? This is the kind of results that you share, right? In yeah. specific for, tools. For example, and, and uh, we make these uh, online tools mm-hmm. that you already mentioned yeah. um, to bring all the, the results, not only highlights, which you would mm-hmm. uh, focus yeah. on in a publication, but we want to bring all the results mm-hmm. um, to the people interested in these results. So if someone is interested in a single, very particular gene, because he or she is working on that gene for decades and is very interested in the function there, then this person should be able to 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 see and and search easily mm-hmm. for associations that we for example see with metabolites for this gene and this can suggest new experiments for someone who is really interested in this very specific yeah. functional aspect and usually yeah. these type of results are somewhere hidden in supplements mm-hmm. and the people interested in those results won't even find them. Yes, absolutely. And it's it's really useful. I've worked with a lot of different omics, not just metabolomics, but still I have no chance working with GWAS. Like I'm not a bioinformatician. I couldn't, like if the data was freely available on the, on the server somewhere, but I still had to mine it myself, I would have no chance. And the fact that you provide the associations and it's really simple to either start from the metabolites or from the genes and to find just what came out of the analysis. And that can be an inspiration sometimes when you're stuck even just to to try and see if there's a direction you hadn't thought about and if there's something in the literature that you wouldn't have found by looking at the general topic because it's maybe not such a a mainstream theory yet. And you can can find new interesting things in that way. Yeah, so that's the goal of these tools that we uh, we try to make Mm -hmm. our association results as accessible as possible. Do you want to name a few of the tools? We will put a list of links so people can find it, but maybe if you want to name a couple of such tools, so people can in, Google it. In collaboration with the group from Cambridge, now in Berlin, it's the group from Claudia Langberg, 
we set up a whole set of such online supplements for achievers, which is called omicscience.org. It's not only about metabolites, it's also proteins in part, mm -hmm. but um, we will add further association results from big cohorts there. And there you can find also an association results from metabolites with diseases and mm -hmm. uh, disease risk factors from a very large population of 11,000 participants. Mm -hmm. That these tools are still growing, so that it's not just a static result of a project or, or a, a paper, but that with the, every new study that can be added to it. We try to sustain these uh, things as uh, good as possible. So mm -hmm. it's always difficult because of funding. These kind of things are not really funded well, but we try, really try to keep uh, those servers up, not mm -hmm. only for one or two years after the publication, yeah, of but course. really as a, mm -hmm. as a growing resource. Mm -hmm. That's our goal. The other resource, which is already quite old, but still we are updating and developing this further, is the snipper.org, where we collect information on each and every genetic variant in the human genome. So the type of associations we link in there are results from different GWASs that mm -hmm. are also available on other places, right? But also metabolite associations and associations with proteins and so on. So mm -hmm. that's also something where we take the few from the genes, not so much from the metabolites. Yeah. Maybe yeah. a, a third sure. edition. So our new, newest one, it's the AD Atlas. There, uh, it. Yeah. we really try to not only make uh, single associations accessible one by one. So if people are interested coming from a different metabolite or gene, and then just give a list. There, we focus on bringing these lists and these associations together into one network to get a, a more systemic view on the interactions between the different molecular layers, between the different disease phenotypes. And in this case, uh, we made that specifically focusing on um, Alzheimer's disease-related phenotypes. Mm -hmm. um, but in, in general, this is not restricted uh, to the disease when it comes to the molecular backbone. There we use really broad data from mm -hmm. healthy big cohorts. So a lot of the genetic gene metabolite association analysis, gene protein association analysis. Mm -hmm. So you them. combine GWAS, metabolomics, proteomics, other, other things as well? And, or and, these... um, As it's specifically focusing on AD, we are mm -hmm. um, also including metabolite disease phenotype associations, mm -hmm. and also tissue-specific um, expression profiles, for example, that uh, mm -hmm. are particularly interesting for AD. So we have different brain tissue, gene expression information from a big uh, US consortium um, working on AD, and that's all brought together in the same mm -hmm. atlas. 
And did you find them new ideas about uh, the pathology of AD from this association that you make now in these networks? So far, we mainly looked into it in a more explorative way. So starting from specific group of metabolites that we saw associated or a set of genes that is interesting from a particular perspective, like targets um, of, of a drug like statins, um, mm -hmm. right? And different statins have different targets besides the main target, of course, is starting from these type of things. And then we create a, a subnetwork and can analyze these subnetworks in terms of enrichment, enrichment mm -hmm. of genes of the bigger subnetwork. And from these enrichments, we got to suggest drug repurposing by combining it with different databases where you have this information on, on drug screens. Mm -hmm. That's what we already tried to show that um, this uh, network is of value. Mm -hmm. In the next step, uh, we want to really mine the complete networks. That's what you were saying, right? That we just want the data to speak to mm -hmm. us. So th this will be the next step that we provide the possibility to analyze this huge network of millions of, of data points um, mm -hmm. with graph-based methods. So at the moment, it's not uh, currently available to the public to use, but this is the plan, right? Yeah. Exactly. Okay. So, so to the public, the, what, yeah. what people can do mm -hmm. with that atlas and like then, now is really explore from starting from yeah a set of genes, a set of phenotypes, a set of metabolism. So now you can already filter and play around and see what comes up. It's already available for this. Yeah, it's already okay. available. And mm -hmm. uh, you can filter, you can search around. But uh, mm -hmm. the step that is missing and that we want to go now mm -hmm. really take the full network that we created and, mm -hmm. and mine it in a in a more holistic way. Mm -hmm. And are you using Alzheimer's now as a, a kind of training disease and then planning to maybe use the same strategy that you hone now with this disease to other interesting diseases? Is that the plan? The, the backbone of molecular yeah. interactions mm -hmm. will be the same anyway, because yeah. that's coming from the very big, more or less healthy cohorts, right? Mm -hmm. And couple this with different, more patient or, or disease-specific databases, information, consortia mm -hmm. data, that's uh, indeed uh, what we plan also for the future to yeah. make different atlases for different diseases, yeah. but also to use that for a better understanding of comorbidities. That also mm -hmm. uh, one of the interests uh, of my group. We want to understand on, on this metabolic uh, level, why is obesity and the linked metabolic pathways a risk factor to basically mm -hmm. all age-related diseases, right? Yeah. And why is it going to type 2 diabetes for those individuals and to Alzheimer's mm -hmm. for those individuals and, I don't know, to osteoarthritis for the other ones, right? Mm -hmm. So these are all, or depression, these are all connected and, and yeah. that this is known and we want to understand how. Yeah, that's a lot of fascinating work ahead, I think. <laughs> To prepare this, I put your name in PubMed to see what comes up, of course. And what was interesting with you is that if like looking at the first two pages, you have a, a multitude of very different papers that each one seems fascinating. There's one paper 
that I find particularly interesting because it talks about a topic I'm very interested in is uh, sex differences in metabolomics. And so in 2020, there was a paper where Matthias Arnold was first author and you were last author that talks about sex differences. The paper is called Sex and APOE Epsilon 4 Genotype Modify the Alzheimer's Disease Serum Metabolum. Firstly, it clearly puts forward the, the idea that sex differences are a topic in metabolomics and that we shouldn't avoid it. And I also like the paper a lot because it had two main figures that are radically different. So the first figure is a highly complex visualization of the data, really a lot of information. And I don't know if it's a classical way of showing the data, but for me, it seemed to be very creative to really show the pulling of the of the, the male and female differences in metabolome together with other factors, and then managing to extract the few metabolites that seem to be really strongly influenced by, by sex. And so a lot of information condensed in the picture. And then the second figure, the complete opposite, very simple box plots that has the most beautiful message I've ever seen. <laughs> I don't know if you remember that figure. No, but I remember that figure. Yes. <laughs> uh, and I found the contrast between those two figures really interesting. So just to describe it quickly to the, the people who are listening, the second figure is a box plot of uh, the levels of proline in the patients in blood. And so without doing any special stratification of the data, when you look at the proline levels compared in two groups, one that uh, would be diagnosed with Alzheimer's and one that wouldn't, there's no, there's no difference visible. And then you start stratifying based on sex or APOE status. And again, not much to see. And you see differences between the two sexes, but you don't see that there's a difference in Alzheimer's. And then you do the double stratification, so twofold stratification. And then suddenly it happens. For males, not the most relevant information, but for females, you clearly see that there's a difference between Alzheimer's and control. And that organizing the data in this way allowed to just reveal this difference. Would you like to comment on what this figure means and what the the overall topic of sex differences in metabolomics uh, is about. What we wanted to make very clear with the second figure is that you, it, we all know that there is a huge sex difference between metabolite levels, but usually people think that these differences, that it's different layer, but if I have a disease or a treatment, then on these different layers, the effect in the sexes is basically the same. That's that's might be true for most of the cases. Otherwise, mm-hmm. so we are all functioning in a similar way biochemically from the from the type of reaction, right? Even though mm-hmm. the levels can be very different. But this example shows that some of the effects in Alzheimer's disease that we see metabolically is only relevant for a small subgroup. Mm-hmm. So you have to have the uh, genetic risk and be female that you see something in proline, right? That's mm-hmm. a very simple message. And that mm-hmm. was what we wanted to convey with this uh, figure because it's otherwise from the analysis, it's sometimes a bit hard to explain yeah. why are we looking into these subgroups at all? Because mm-hmm. overall, on average, we haven't seen any any difference in proline, right? So why are you looking into that uh, more deeply that was what we wanted to show very uh, mm-hmm. um, 
It's really shown nicely in that figure because, because I think because the, the figure is simple, sometimes you need the complex visualization. Like in the first figure, you need this to show as much as, of the data as possible. And this is really important in the first figure. But for that specific message, the simplicity and, and, of it and, was so essential. The first figure is the, the outcome of the whole analysis, right? Mm -hmm. So this yeah. does not only happen for proline. Mm -hmm. You have different effects also for other subgroups and other combinations. And you also have these homogeneous effects that mm -hmm. are really the same for everybody, apparently. So also, yes. And this is important then when you're interested in, in future treatments and, and which targets to choose. Yeah, and, and it's also important to know about the heterogeneity of effects mm -hmm. uh, because th those um, associations can also come up in analysis, unstratified analysis, if you happen that your cohort is more biased towards a specific genotype or any other reason for this kind of bias. And then this association can come up overall but it's in, indeed, it's only relevant for a, a subgroup. And maybe if you target this, the other groups can, it can even be harmful to, to target this, yep. right? So mm -hmm. we don't know. And that's why we wanted to show that we have to analyze this heterogeneity and not mm -hmm. always say, oh, we see this effect, <laughs> p-value and, and so on, right? We can replicate it maybe. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's it. It's not the end of the story. We have to, to mm -hmm. look into subgroups more carefully, especially in diseases where we already know that we have phenotypic heterogeneity even, right? So. Yes. And this brings also the question of how to find new markers or new targets, because here in this example, the, the way you stratify is based on known risk factors. So you know what to look for and you know how to stratify. Sometimes there might be differential effects between different subgroups that we don't know about because we simply don't know that the subgroups exist. Like we don't know that something is a risk factor because it hasn't been discovered yet. That was at the end um, of, of um, working on, on this paper, exactly something that we cut out for a new analysis mm -hmm. um, that we go away from known risk factors to a stratification using the metabolomics data. So um, approaching things from the other end, um, mm -hmm. uh, questioning whether we can use part of metabolomics data, specific metabolites mm -hmm. to subgroup individuals. And then in a second step, check whether we see associations with AD mm -hmm. phenotypes. And that's yep. something we are currently putting together in an, another publication where we use this approach of subgrouping using the metabolomics data. Yeah, and this is one of the powers of metabolomics, isn't it? Would you say that there is a similar kind of hope now with metabolomics as there was with genomics? Because 20 years ago, genomics was going to solve biology, kind of. <laughs> and I mean, there are lots of things that were found out and there are lots of things that are still being done with genomics. But there are lots of things that we now know don't just rely on our genetic code or or even how it's regulated at the epigenomic level, that there, there are things that happen directly at the metabolite level or that are then um, visible slightly later at the metabolite level. Do, do you see a new kind of hope coming from metabolomics? Yes. So I see the hope that we can get information on different parts of lifestyle and genetic influences that come together in an individual directly with basically one measurement. 
that's, I think, the promise and the hope of, of metabolomics. I think we are getting closer. What makes it always very complicated is that we have this fluctuation of metabolism all the time. Mm-hmm. So anything will influence the metabolome, be it what you ate two days ago mm-hmm. or whether you did uh, a lot of exercise the week before. It all will influence your current metabolome. Mm-hmm. I think there are two solutions. Mm-hmm. <laughs> One is to have a good knowledge of these fluctuations mm-hmm. by looking into time-resolved data. That's another branch, I would say, of the group where we are very interested in to understand when do we see which metabolites are affected by these things, which ones are not, mm-hmm. and uh, to get a really good knowledge uh, uh, about this is one solution, in my opinion. Yeah. The other good um, news, I would say, is uh, that even if we use metabolomics data from all these different points uh, during the day and all mm-hmm. these different challenges like exercise, different types of nutrition, if you take it all together we have seen that the metabolomes of an individual is a very stable thing. Mm -hmm. Even over years, we have shown that not in each and every metabolite, Mm -hmm. but altogether, people You stay closer to yourself than you are to other people. You stay closer to yourself, Mm -hmm. uh, um, no matter what you do to your metabolism, so to Mm -hmm. say. And the other thing that we saw in these analyses in the bigger cohorts over years, right, and the changes over years is when the whole metabolism changes dramatically in an individual, that's a bad sign. That's an alarm sign. Yes. And I think that uh, is an argument for Mm -hmm. uh, using metabolomics as a monitoring tool to see when things are disbalanced in a way that they're, yeah, the body cannot uh, cope with it anymore. You, you could imagine something like getting a metabolite panel checked every year, just so you can catch things early. And then after 10 years, you have 10 pictures of your metabolome and you might see an outlier when you start developing relatively early on a, a disease that yeah. might get caught earlier that way. And that's uh, uh, helpful when you look at the complete metabolome as, as such, as a combination of metabolites, mm-hmm. that uh, gives you an idea, but also you have the, the different metabolites where you might be in a normal range still yeah. when you compare it to a, to a population, to a yeah. normal range, as is mm-hmm. done with the classical clinical chemistry, right? Mm-hmm. But when you have your monitored levels, you can see a trend already much earlier. Maybe you have always been very low in that level and high levels are bad, but mm-hmm. you have a clear yeah. trend rising, mm-hmm. then you have a much earlier This is time. now relevant, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Absolutely. It's more relevant for the individual. And yeah. that's where I would hope uh, that we get metabolomics into the clinic as, as a supporting tool. Yeah. Um, There's much that can, be, that can be seen through it. I mean, it's used in certain applications in the clinics, um, especially with newborn screening. But there's really a lot more, I think, that that could be done if metabolomics entered the clinics. And again, the beauty with metabolomics, I would see that we can also label parts, so so specific metabolite classes or specific metabolites, a combination of them, to some 
um, modifiable risks that can be related to your lifestyle or to the microbiome, we can Yes, um, mm-hmm. we have the information. Uh, for example, uh, maybe this comes from a disbalance in your microbiome. Maybe mm-hmm. you had an antibiotic treatment, too many of those, or or something like that, or these kind of things. So we we mm-hmm. can also see. Oh, it's it's more all the metabolites that show up when you look into liver problems. So th- you see those combined with those, I don't know, microbiome dysbiosis act on, on, on this. And absolutely, uh, mm-hmm. um, I think their metabolomics has a lot to give. <laughs> yeah, I think so too. I agree. I like the idea of lipids being more than just membrane components, but being active exactly. uh, members of the metabolome and of, of our biology. What's your view on this? I'm not a uh, particular expert on lipids, but what, what I noticed over the years is that lipids come up as, as associated with diseases almost everywhere. Yeah. Any disease you look at, it, it's a lipid, is involved as well. I'm pretty sure that lipids are much more than just things that you need for the membranes. It yeah. must be because they are so diverse. So why should nature make all these different things? Um, it makes it very difficult, in my opinion, when doing these lipid screens, is that the classical, biochemical, functional information on each and every particular lipid that can be measured nowadays is missing. Mm-hmm. So no one has done the hard work of finding out what this particular length, then there, mm-hmm. the double bonds, of all these things that we can measure now is mm-hmm. really doing. And in comparison to the next length and the next double bonds, yes. all these biochemical hard work is missing in, in, mm-hmm. in the literature. And that makes it really differ, difficult to do interpretation. Yeah. And the other thought I always have when <laughs> I see lipids, in, in many cases, I have seen really bad things happening in, in terms of interpretation when, thing, when, when people don't know what, what the labeling of this measurement means. Mm-hmm. How do you mean the labeling? Like they're not sure of which lipid they're looking at? Or... So in, so, yeah, so in lipidomics, we have these different layers of precision, right? Yeah. What do we know from... Okay. So you know the global structure, but you don't know exactly what the fatty acid chains are, for example. Behind a measurement that is labeled by PC something, Mm -hmm. it's hard to really capture what's behind that label and find uh, the the interpretation and literature on that. Because Mm -hmm. literature is more there for very specific ones, very specific lipids, very detailed things, but what yeah. you measure is much more a, a, a bag of things. And and the nomenclature that is used in the publication might be different from the one you're using as well, which makes it difficult to find information. <laughs> exactly. And that's something, I think that's not, appreciate this complexity of mm-hmm. uh, lipidomic measurements is not appreciated enough. I think that's also why when we see a beautiful lipidomic study with a beautiful story of what the lipids are doing, why it's so fascinating and exciting because some of the most interesting metabolomics or lipidomics papers that I read sometimes are really about lipids because you see it's a whole new world, like it's a new dimension that that opens every time there's really a, a cool story that comes out about it. And also because there is this, this scarcity of, of information, both on the function and the structure of what is measured, that makes it difficult for the interpretation. 
speaking of interpretation, this is the last topic I want to address like more, more specifically, even though this whole podcast is about interpretation, of course. I, I explained to you a bit uh, when we spoke before the picture I have about an interpretation project where you start planning your project and then you have execution steps where you, you prepare your data and operate the tools that you want to use and then check that everything is fine and finally you can actually do the interpretation work. So you found in your case, for example, you found the associations that are significant between metabolites and genes or this kind of things. You're confident you did the good work and now you can do the interpretation and, and try to figure out the story behind, let's say, Alzheimer's or whatever uh, the topic of the paper is. In your experience, what would you say is the most time-consuming step of the process? What's your feeling about it? So starting after data analysis or with the data analysis? With the data analysis. So I would say, it depends on what you mean by data analysis. Let's say you start knowing which metabolites you're looking at. <laughs> okay. <laughs> there are two steps that, at least in the projects we were involved in, always took most of the time. So mm -hmm. the, uh, um, the first step in getting to know the data together with the experiment, yeah. um, that's a very time-consuming step. Mm -hmm. Because so, no matter whether you come from the, the experiment, so you are the one that, who does the experiment and, and had the idea about the research question, or whether you come more from the uh, metabolomics and you know the metabolites, it's always hard to really capture the rest. So for the experimentalist who has a clear idea of what the research question is, mm -hmm. often has a very hard time to capture what's in this metabolomics data. How much can I rely on this one? Uh, what is that metabolite? What does it tell me? And from, from the other end, when you're more the metabolomics expert, you first have to understand what the research question is in a very detailed way to really help uh, the people to make most out of the metabolomics data and yeah. no matter on, on which side you are mm. it's um, yeah almost all the the uh, studies we did were highly collaborative right so, mm -hmm. so you always have different parties involved yes in the case in fairness with metabolomics i've spoken with some people who do like the planning the measurements the analysis but i think these people are quite rare and more often than not it's a it's a group and it's possible but everybody has to yeah you have to make this common crown somehow yeah right? and you have to find a language you both understand which is sometimes difficult yeah isn't it and even and like I find it amazing. Like there are even words that that are used by biologists and informaticians or or chemists. There are the same words used for different things, like feature, for example. I always find it complicated. Like what do you mean? Or even interpretation. Some people think of interpretation as interpreting the the signals of my my measurements to know what the metabolite is. When other people, like me, from a biological point of view, say I'm going to interpret now what's going on mm -hmm. the biology level. And you can you can have conversations with people for a while until you realize you're not talking I, about I, the same thing. I, I had this actually with a with a chemist and a computer scientist. They were mm -hmm. discussing a so putting together a manuscript, and I would say for twenty minutes they were discussing a graph. Yeah, and after twenty minutes, 
it turned out that the whole time the computer scientist was thinking of a graph in a very mathematically well-defined way of a network mm -hmm. that he wanted to set up for this publication. And the uh, chemist was just talking about a figure, yeah. a conceptual yeah. figure for the paper. And that's things happen. Yeah. And uh, at least the studies we were involved in, It takes some time, and mm -hmm. I think we should give ourselves this time absolutely to, to really understand what we are doing together. Yes, right? because the risk, if you don't, then is that you go further down the steps, and then you you realize you have to go back to the beginning. This is, in in my sense, this is the worst because, like, it's it's absolutely normal, and and you should take the time to prepare and plan and make sure that everyone understands what they have to do for any project. But especially in big but not it's uh, or uh, even with uh, the funding schemes, they always mm -hmm. expect the best experts in each and every discipline. So the mm -hmm. best statistician doing new algorithms uh, or uh, yeah, coming up with new ideas to analyze, and the best analytical chemist, but they are not bringing them together. They sometimes expect that. This is done only by the analytical chemist. This is done only by the statistician. And that's mm -hmm. not necessarily the best outcome yeah. for the research question. Mm -hmm. you, you clearly need these experts, right? So, mm -hmm. so at, at sure. all the ends, you, you mm -hmm. need those, but you also need those that bring things together. And that's mm -hmm. sometimes a bit forgotten. This is important. So that's one part of the interpretation where I see it's time-consuming And the other part is bringing together the mm -hmm. current knowledge in literature from other current screens with yeah. what, what my results are. Mm -hmm. That's also a very difficult, time-consuming mm -hmm. thing because you have sometimes you have to read deep into yeah. the publications. And this is right? more often a one-person job, isn't it? Or do you manage to do this in a group? Because this is much more difficult to organize in a group. Yeah, that's that's true. At least you need one person who wants to dig into it deeply. Mm -hmm. Without that person, it usually is very difficult because it's mm -hmm. Um, or it stays very shallow and yeah, put yeah. this together in, mm -hmm. in one head first. Then, of mm -hmm. course, the discussion is needed with all the experts, right? Sometimes you find something and, and you think it's important because mm -hmm. you are not so familiar with that mm -hmm. particular field. And then, yeah, I don't yeah. know. The exercise biologist says no. <laughs> We're from a very different thing now, right? So, uh, but, but, but you need that one person who is willing to try to connect all these things yeah. in, in the head first. Yeah. But then absolutely, then once you've made your own connection of the dots, then you need to go out and also expose your theory to the world because you can't be an expert in everything yeah. or an expert in every biological field. So you need to have then inputs to see if that makes sense or if maybe you need to rework parts of the, of the story. Uh -huh. Absolutely. Speaking of this interpretation, apart from the biological point of view, where, where do you see a place for creativity? Is it there? Or do you also think, is there also creativity involved in the previous steps for you or everywhere along the way from an original scientific question to how to do the work to also how to form the team, maybe? Like, where, what's the place of creativity? I would see it in, in each and every step. I think that would mm -hmm. be the ideal mm -hmm. case. 
of course, there is a lot of need for creativity uh, in that last step where maybe you can have more standardized things before. But if you really want to get out most of a story of a group of what you are doing, I think creativity at each step is bringing things forward. And then my last question for you is, what is your favorite metabolite and why? <laughs> yeah, I saw this question uh, just before. It's a funny one. <laughs> it made me think it's changing with the study. Course, so, yeah. so I only can say what my current Mm-hmm. favorite metabolite is and i would say it's uh, better citrul glutamate okay why <laughs> why because yeah of course it, it has to do with the current project we did where we had muscle biopsies from people doing resistance exercise so that's a collaboration with exercise biologists from cologne and munich It's not the first time that I saw the better citrul glutamate there, but there we we saw a change in muscle for this metabolite. And I think mm-hmm. the metabolite is a very good example why I like to do metabolomics instead of very targeted things uh, mm-hmm. only, so like only clinical chemistry, mm-hmm. because this is a metabolite known for a while, but it yeah. has been described mostly in embryos for development uh, um, of the brain mm-hmm. and later it had be, had been seen also in um, spermatogenesis mm-hmm. but apart from that it hasn't been described much Meta- metabolite association studies with different types of, of phenotypes mostly mm-hmm. in exercise but they're different ones then it comes up it's mm-hmm basically nowhere described as a key point as a highlight because nobody knows what the thing is doing Mm -hmm. i found it very interesting because i uh, immediately looked up almost automatically do we have a genetic association with that metabolite sure we do i could have found that in knowledge bases as well because there is a particular enzyme dealing with that synthesizing Mm -hmm. this which always tells you that it must have an important role mm-hmm. somewhere um, and nobody knows where and i think their metabolomics can help a lot to look into areas and fields where this metabolite might be of importance yes and we can get to the next steps to, mm-hmm. to or, or suggest experiments to see what the role of this metabolite is right yes. outside and of it's- It's, it's a beautiful example of both types of applications of metabolomics as well. You might find new markers of a disease state or of exercise or excessive exercise, but you might also better understand muscle physiology by looking into a new pathway that's, that no one looked into before in that context. Yeah. So it's really, it's really cool. Thank you. Yeah. So it's a great example. Different at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> I have the same. I always change my mind just depending on what I'm looking into. <laughs> Is there something else you would like to discuss? I talked about all my favorite parts, the time-resolved metabolomics. Yes. Uh, mm-hmm. Based on different metabolic challenges like exercise and nutrition as well. Mm-hmm. The stability of these metabolomes over time, on the other hand, not only the fluctuations, but also their stability. Mm-hmm. And also my uh, favorite topic of uh, making our association results and all the information we have about metabolites accessible to others in, in a way that they don't need to be bioinformaticians.
On this beautiful note, I would like to thank you for, for joining me on the podcast today. It was lovely to discuss with you. Thank you very much for the discussion. That was a great pleasure. Thank you for joining us in this discussion. I hope that this episode gave you new insights and ideas on how to plan, conduct and communicate your own metabolomics projects. If you'd like to continue this journey with us, make sure to register for the Metabolomist email list on the podcast webpage. For regular news on metabolomics and data interpretation, you can connect with me, Alice Limonciel, on LinkedIn, where I post on metabolites, analysis strategies, data processing tools, and more. And make sure to check out our other podcast episodes on the Metabolomist website.